This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Head of Performance and Wellbeing at West Ham, Jenny Coe. She discusses the support network she puts in place for staff and players, the importance and skill of noticing and how she implements this on a day-to-day basis, as well as how they've created a team-first mentality rather than individual focus. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So, Jen, I would say our schedules have been one of the most unkind to one another that I've had whilst doing this. So, first <laughs> of all, good good work us finally doing this. But uh, how are things your end? All okay? Yeah, yeah. It's um a true busy period. It's not a a, a time that I guess it's it's funny. It's a time where I, t- I speak about well being and my job and my role. And then things go into this whirlwind of a start of a season and games every weekend and sometimes games during the week that I, I kind of come up and go, I was at mid-October already, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I used to chat to people and and arrange meetings and have calls and people would say, oh, I'm free in three weeks time. I'm free in a month's time. And I was like, wow, such a busy schedule. And then I've become one of those where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm free Monday the fifth of this month, you know, people are, I think people must be like, what is going on in her life there? But it's it's important on a serious note for me to have the space to have the conversation. You know, I did get to a point and have done um, over the years, I've, get, I've got much better at it to try and find a, a window where I said like, if it's great to have a conversation, it's great to have opportunities like to come on and have a chat with you. Uh, but I want to be in the right headspace to have that conversation. I want to have an enjoyable experience. I don't want to be like, oh, God, go on this call. I've got to rush off. You know, it's that it's the nice to do, nice to have instead of need to. Um, so I am glad we're here. That's a long winded answer there. But I am glad I'm here and it is busy, but all good. All good at the moment. Good. And as I said, listen, it was partly my end as well. As you said, start of the season is always a bit chaotic and I'd started a new job. So between the two of us, it was uh, very much ships in the night. But similar to you, glad we can do this now. So for people that maybe uh, don't know you, haven't come across uh, your role, any of your work, do you just want to explain to people, I guess, what uh, you do and and who you are and what that entails, I guess, from a a week-to-week, month-to-month basis? Gosh, there's a lot of questions there. Um, Who am I? Still learning, still learning about that. <laughs> the role that I have is Head of Performance and Wellbeing at West Ham, United Women's First Team. Uh, that is primarily supporting the staff and the players around wellbeing, how we work, the hours we work, the schedule that we have when we're on site, mindful of, of wakeful rest and how we schedule our week, how we prepare for our days, how we reflect out of our days how we find opportunities to connect that aren't just related to the technical and tactical aspect of our job and how um, how we can develop, how we can learn and develop whilst we're all together or even individually on their own, own journey. So that may fall into a sports psychology space. It might fall into well-being and education around different areas um, externally, getting support or uh, having great conversations with people across different sports and different industries. So that's kind of the role I have at the moment. I tend to try and keep in 
with a number of other different sports, I find perspective is really helpful for me and I don't get sucked into a bubble. I think that was part of the the kind of gem or the reason why I was brought into the role in the first place coming from a non-football background was that I had a lens that came from 20 different sports that I'd worked in and I was able to ask those questions and try and understand and do we know why we're doing this? What kind of research is underpinning it? How can we break down some of the norms, be it that we've learned from the men's side of the game, the historical culture and football and navigate and kind of own our own path as the women's first team, even though it's under the umbrella of West Ham and, and the ethos of, S, of West Ham, uh, still kind of having our own identity. And it's a really exciting space. It's nerve wracking at times because of the pace it goes at. It's exciting, but it's every day is different. So, yeah, there's a mix of other sports that I am involved in. I love doing that, like you know, canoeing and paddling and surfing and um, rugby league. Those kind of things allow me to kind of from a woman in, in sport and how do I build that profile of women in our environment to how do I understand the nuances of this new sport that I'm still learning, even though I'm three seasons in now or well into my third season. So that's that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Um, You'll kind of hear, I suppose, over the podcast, some repetitive areas of, you know, an advocate of getting more women in sport and being allies of um, any kind of leaving the ladder down for people who want to break in. And then the areas of mental preparation and well-being and mental health. I know that we can all squeeze them together, but just understanding, I suppose, the whole human, the whole person underneath the badge or the label. Um, so, yeah, that's. That's where I'm at the moment, living in London, loving the fast pace. Although when you marry the fast pace of London with the fast pace of my job, sometimes I'm kind of like, take me to the countryside. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, I'll be honest, I'm a countryside boy, so I know exactly what you're on around. When I go into London, I'm like, geez Louise, this is, this is busy. But I know that uh, certain individuals, they love that fast paced nature and whatnot. Um, so I guess the question for me there is you mentioned having, um, I guess, a hunger to to learn about other sports or utilise other sports and being relatively new to football. Um, you probably want to know this. Part of the reason I did this podcast was that for that very reason, trying to steal ideas from, from other sports or other people and whatnot. So I guess the, the easiest question to begin with is what have you seen that's transferable um, across sport in terms of well-being or high-performing athletes what things do they do across a multitude of sports that allows them to perform and constantly take care of themselves so that they can perform mm, that's a really good question there are some really easy and obvious transferable pieces the, the kind of barriers that people have how they thrive um, our perceptions of high performance environment um, language and behavior that's necessary for people to thrive like there are similarities that you can bring into each sport and then there are the small little things like um, specific to each sport but very interesting to have those conversations how we look at each of the disciplines so how does sports psychology and uh, physical condition operate across different sports what are the what are the, what's the sport asking of the individual inside it be it as a practitioner or a participant um, and how how do we have those rich conversations? That's the thing. So what I notice from a probably about a seven, eight year span now is that it's not very common for people to have conversations cross sport. 
it's for whatever reason, maybe they, they're time constrained, maybe it's just not the norm, maybe they don't or can't even map the similarity of something that's on the water to something that's on a hardwood or in a field or that, you know, we're a million miles away. And that may be something that I've seen over years that when people have connected and, and gone and watched how one team is a one type of warm up and netball might be self-led by the athletes, whereas in other sports like rowing there'd be a collective gathering and we'd do it together and activate and some sports are really good at checking in with the athletes when they arrive organic conversations um like in in paddling they might and canoeing they might walk the course with the person and they might chalk, chat about this is what we're doing here what's your aim in the session and others we might just get moving straight away a common kind of this is what the session looks like not co-created and let's go and do it so it's those kind of how you know what does coaching practice look like? What's the design? Uh, what's the language? Oh, there are some similarities. Um, the common, most common thread, uh, no, thread is the wrong word. Most common, most common thing, I can't think of a better word for it right now, is, is understanding what athlete and coach centered approach is. So I did a workshop recently with Sophia Jowett and she, we talked about athlete-centred and people's interpretation of this and misinterpretation. And then previously how it would be coach-led and coach-centred and her moving all of that into a coach-athlete-centred approach. And for me, it is the commonality of what do we, and we all want to have that. We all want to have thriving environments and, you know, brilliant cultures that are growing and understanding the microcultures of the people who operate in and, understanding the motivations etc etc but how we do that that's the thing that I'm really I've been really interested over the years to try and get a keen understanding of do you know how to do that do you know how to motivate and understand the motivations of the individual and another common thing is that sometimes they don't come up for air to ask that question they just keep going they go to courses within their sports and you know when I come to football football's brilliant for offering loads of different courses loads of different opportunities but it tends to be within football with football people and um, although that conversation can be really healthy because it can have diversity in the way we see things and approach things it's still inside football and I do think there's a lot to learn outside I've kind of gone around the house on that one but understanding the how and the why because the what's everywhere we can access the what on tiktok and google and webinars and conferences that it's the how part that i think that a lot of the sports still are, are navigating so you know probably where my next question is going to be in terms of people that you've seen do it really well how do they do it and how is it not something that you do at the start of the season and then you do again around christmas time and then you do again at the end of the season where it's actually a evolving process rather than, okay, well, we did do a little bit of it this season and it didn't really pay effect. Yeah. You know, I'd start, even if people are listening and I do have this conversation on a regular basis um, in, you know, in-house in West Ham and other sports that I work in or conversations and podcasts is do people know what good and great coaching look like? Do they know and have they experienced on a consistent basis a high performance environment? Because you can go and have an opportunity to visit an environment for a day. But if you don't have the right people to speak to in those environments or you're not seeing 
maybe, I don't know, you're only seeing a tiny pocket within that day or your foundation and your understanding of what good looks like is then maybe skewing the day or the day can be overwhelming or you don't know where to guide your thoughts or it's a you know quick in and out and you go, oh, that was great. So I think having a foundation of what does what am I looking for here? Who do I speak to when I go in? How am I assessing and understanding? What kind of curious questions do I want to either leave with or ask while I'm there? And that's why I do try and encourage, you know, any of the people who I speak with, I'll invite them into West Ham. We're really good at doing that. The players and staff are really open like that because they understand and, and appreciate the value of learning as well. But self-awareness, those I've seen those where, where coaches will say, oh, I, I realized when I started the session that, you know, this athlete and this athlete, just something was going on. It wasn't right. So I've tweaked their program and um, could be, you know, poolside with 15 swimmers or 25 swimmers. And some have come on and the coaches notice the body language is a bit different. It's in the AM. So they give it a couple of, they give the person a couple of minutes to adjust and then ask a couple of typical questions, maybe just kind of easy generic questions. And they've responded in a different way than they did the previous day. So they've gone, mm, I'm going to tweak this, find out more. And also, uh, well, I guess that's linked to emotional intelligence really as well but their awareness and lack of ego in that instance to go well I've designed it and I need this and it's for me so we're going ahead and then going I might have got that wrong I might have pushed them too far there or I don't know if I know the answer to this those kind of things for me when I hear them in an environment or see or have a conversation about them I know we're on the right track but I don't you know other than my current environment I don't spend a, a consecutive amount of days in other environments to know how often that happens. So it's um, having the support of a coach developer who may be able to come in on a more regular basis or a mentor can be really valuable for people. But having that baseline, I think, is so important. And so for people that maybe are listening um, who are going, actually, I don't know what good looks like or I don't know what great coaching looks like, um, how could they go around, I guess, gaining that knowledge base of actually where good coaching and, and whatnot looks like. Because you mentioned earlier, it's really easy to go down the tech tap route and go, well, I'm just going to watch Pep Guardiola and do whatever he does. But actually, a group of under 14s probably don't need that. They probably need support in terms of going through puberty and all the different changes that comes with that or dealing with the breakup of a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever comes with life challenges there. So how can people, um, I guess, begin to learn what good actually looks like and kind of make an assessment from there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's another brilliant question. I, I'm leaning um, in what I've said already towards people going to visit other environments, but I have said there as well, that if you don't have a good base or you don't fully know what the scope of good looks like, then you're, you're going in a little bit with a, Oh, you know, someone's recommended them or I hear him shouting and I shout a lot. So that must be good. Reinforce, validate me. Off I go to berate everyone in my environment. But I, I think it comes down to if if I have, if I'm a coach and I want to know what good or great looks like, I'm seeing that a session might be planned. I've had a conversation with the coach or people in that environment before I go there. I know what the the objective maybe of the session is or that block of planning that they've done. Um, I understand the age group that they have, not necessarily the individuals, because I'm only going to have a visit or have a conversation. But there's there's planning involved. There's good planning and organization. There's questions being asked, not an expansement questions that drown out the, the momentum of the session, 
but I'm he- I'm hearing more than one voice. I'm not having the coach just if I'm in a basketball gym, I'm not hearing just the coach for the whole session. Or if I'm on a football pitch, I'm not hearing the coach drive the whole session. That I'm hearing questions throughout the sessions that are either challenging for or checking challenging learning or grabbing a, a you know a point in the session as we're moving from one to the next drill or and I hate that word, but the activity for them to be able to go, oh, this is a good learning moment here. Hey, what do you think of that? How does that look in in your role here? Do you, do you get what we're trying to do? Those those little questions, you know, and not three in a row, but like one little question here and there. I think you're starting to build a picture of what the priorities of the coaches, how well connected they are with the individuals. I don't believe if people are laughing and joking all the time that that equal design a great, you know, coaching or a great environment. But it might give you an indication of how the balance of fun and enjoyment is incorporated into the session. I think we do lose, which is probably common to a lot of people listening, but we do lose that fun and enjoyment as we take a different path. So on a performance path or as people get older. And I spent some time in London coaching social basketball teams. Highlight of my week. And I was still playing at the time. And I started to check myself on how I was arriving at my own sessions as a player to how I was coaching on the Wednesday night sessions. We were in a gym that was opened uh, by LeBron James, I think it was at the time, or Michael Jordan, like a, a gold rim painted cool place. And people would come in and be like, wow, this is amazing. And I trained there for a year before that. And I was like, oh, the ceiling is a bit low, kind of hinders the three point shot. Um, yeah, I suppose it's nice. The floor is a, a bit slippy. And then people would come in and be like, this is, look at the rings. And I thought, what have I done? What's what's happened to me here that I have lost this little spark in me, the enjoyment of. So going back and coaching um, from a social aspect, we still were very competitive in the session. We didn't lose that side. But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing too much here, but it's that kind of enjoyment and fun balance, the questioning, the structure of a session. And again, this is where if I come in to a session and I haven't had a conversation, I come into an observation, and I have no idea, then it's only my perception of what organized looks like and structured looks like. So it is important that you kind of have maybe a diverse scope of coaching. You've looked at and listened to different people online or face to face, and then you're going to visit other environments. And um, usually beneficial if you have somebody with you to have a bounce off and what do you think they're doing here or to grab some time with an athlete or coach afterwards. Uh, final point on this one, I went to uh, observe a session with some coaches I was working with and they were on the ice and they were sharing the ice time with a different group. So it was a performance group and there was a, what looked to be a kind of a participant group of all different ages. And we had four coaches observing and the, uh, the coach on the ice was mic'd up. And his instruction was great. Uh, his, you know, the direction we were all having conversations about how precise the message was. He, you know, he wasn't taking over the audio and the airspace. But we did have questions about um, the repetition that was in the session, and we had some questions for the coaches. And it didn't look by the our version, our perception of what enjoyment was. It didn't look like the um skaters were enjoying themselves and we use things like oh they well their slow their shoulders were slumped and they weren't really smiling and we just put all of this what I'll say like crap together like oh it was this and it was this and you know we thought we were on to something but why we were 
assuming and why we were piecing this together. It was just, you know, when we had hindsight, we just looked back, it was ridiculous. So we made sure at the end of the session, we asked the coach how we thought the session went, what kind of observations he had. But we also asked the athletes, best session ever, really enjoyed it. And listen, they could have been given us a skewed version for, you know, we must, the visitors, we must tell them it was amazing. But it was, it really hampered our um our view and challenged our bias and we did say to the coach this is what we were thinking and he goes yeah listen that can sometimes happen if they're just exhausted it takes a lot out of them the session we're doing is 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 very competitive and it's tiring but they they enjoy the session we've co-created it so it's piecing those kind of things together you know and i guess it's also almost being able to go in with a wider lens and say okay this is what i see and then, like you said, making the space after that to say, well, actually, is what I'm seeing um, accurate to the information I can then gather or the context I can then gather? Because he's probably provided you there with a really good rationale of actually why it doesn't look as enjoyable because it is physically challenging or mentally challenging, but they enjoy it. Um, and I can think of a lot of you know sessions within football where if you probably ask the players halfway through when they're all panting and breathing and stuff, they're kind of, yeah, this isn't isn't generally the most fun but actually they enjoy it because they know that they get good outcomes or it's game relative um, and all those other bits because they you know they really like that session and ask to do it once a week or once a fortnight or whatever that may be so I think like you mentioned there having that additional context is a really interesting one um I guess from from your perspective in, in your role that you currently do how do you check in with players around I guess, what they're feeling or, or what's going on with them. Um, is it a very structured one? So is it I'm going to sit down with the players every six weeks or every two weeks or that might, or is it more of an informal basis and you're kind of there as and when needed? Mm. So we have a mix of both. We'd have a a lot of um, structures. I hate the word processes, but we have put some stuff in place to keep the continuity and consistency of the season. So from the player's perspective, they know what's in the diary up until Christmas. So they can, on days off, they can book downtime with family and friends and holidays, whatever they need to do. But we work hard when we're on site, this kind of mentality, but they know that they have options. We went with a, towards a more autonomy supportive environment this year, options on when they can do gym, um, options to have analysis sessions in the AM or the PM, and then more structured, where they they have to go and meet one of the coaches and we have a a new analysis section at the back of one of our presentation rooms with some Macs and stuff. So it's encouraging people to take a little bit more control, use some of the stuff that we're putting up on the walls or supporting them with, but then guiding themselves in their own journey. So if they're in at the back and they're on one of the Macs, they might have a coach that'll come in and go, hey, do you know what are you going through a clip? So yeah, let's sit down and have some time. Or it's an allocated slot in the week and I'm going to go and have a, a conversation with you there. Um, I think the the more beneficial side for me is the organic side. So um, I've heard and there are definitely some teams in the country who have um, no provision or very little provision around sports psychology or well-being. So they end up being in a consultant base or, you know, a couple of days a week. And when I first came to West Ham, it was a day a week that I was working with them. And that was really interesting because I def there was definitely some benefits because I was seen as completely outside. So there was probably a lot of trust built really quickly. I could 
listen very well. I could un- try and understand their motives. Um, you know, there's a a, fr- a framework of like the biopsychosocial element that they were able to see. I could see the social interaction when I was there. I can understand the psych and do some supportive um, evaluations with them. But really, I was only a dipping in and dipping out. Whereas now, I'm immersed. So. I will go out of my way to sit and have breakfast with some of the players that are coming in to have breakfast in the morning. Or if I'm in the corridor, I'll have a corridor conversation with them and I'll check in and they know that I care and I'm consistent in that. And I will share openly at the start of the season that my role is to support the staff and the players. So it's building trust. You know, there's also when it comes down to selection and people are feeling a little bit like, oh, you know, if I say this in front of Jen, does that get back? And yeah, that's the kind of I just got to be consistent in how I present myself and how I communicate so that we can build that trust. And so when you're looking at it from, a, I guess, a, a relationship perspective, I'd imagine similar to any club, you're going to get a bit of turnover of players and all of that type of stuff. How do you, I guess, go about differentiating between relationships you already have with individuals that might be within the team for the past three years, you know, everything about them and their families and challenges they've been through and how you've helped them compared to someone that's completely new that is in the building and in reality all you really know about them is where they're originally from and maybe the name of of their husband or wife or the kids or anything like that how do you kind of uh, I guess differentiate between the two and working out what hat you need to put on to then support them appropriately you know this is a really interesting area and it's evolving with us from an onboarding perspective so I'm massive on relationships I think they underpin everything that we should be doing before we go into any of the areas we don't have our relationships right and we don't have that connectivity it's a really tricky space to operate in so what we've got to value is culturally um, who's coming in and what experiences have they had before um, so we're talking about the West Ham culture, the football, um, their own home and what they're bringing to the table, where they've previously played, um, if they've played there for a really long time, yeah, what kind of barriers they might have faced so if, if language or poor experiences or the type of game that was played, you know, was it really constrained and they didn't have any freedom. So we need to really understand who people are. But in saying that around new players, we've also got some time off between the end of one season into another where life-changing experiences could have happened to a player. So what we don't, and again, when I say it's a work in progress, what we don't want to assume is that because I've established a relationship with someone that that's okay. Yeah, we're good. We're great. I know about you. Well, actually, I don't. I know what you tell me and I know how, what my kind of experience of the world is. So we have a good relationship, but I have to keep revisiting that. I have to keep checking in. We have our wellness questionnaires. We have our readiness tests that we do. We have lots of bits and pieces from a formal point of view. But how how really is that person? How are you doing today? And that's why we brought in a well-being room with some bean bags and some bits and pieces, lava lamps and some colouring and all that. Because sometimes we'll just go in and just have a chill out on the bean bags and have a chat about life. Just what's going on in life? How, how have you been if they've had an injury or a month off in the off season, as well as when the new people come in, how, you know, how do you like to be coached? What was your last experience like? Have you ever been to, you know, a city that has almost 9 million people in it? Uh, have you ever managed a tube system? 
if you get home deliveries of groceries, in some of the cases, you need to have an English phone number. So how can we get people set up? And those little things are managing, you know, Uber, one of those um, apps. Like, how can we make sure that their experience is as positive and smooth as possible? And yeah, that's probably way above my remit, but we don't have the capacity of player care and lifestyle performance in our space at the moment. So uh, under that well-being umbrella, it's that constant revisit to the relationship and no assumption that I've I've nailed a relationship with somebody here and we're in a good place because you know, we might not be. And do you have a checklist in your head when you're talking to someone to say, okay, yeah, like almost we've covered that, we've covered this, we've covered that, or is it more of a free flow of ideas and then you get, I guess, a gut feeling or perception of if there's something deeper lying to what they're saying? Yeah, um, I probably wouldn't have a checklist. What I would have would be um, like a, a database of information about that person that's there and if in the filing cabinet if I need it. Things, small things like um, the family setup and people's names, if they have a dog, um, you know, like anything really that they might be willing to share. I've got to take it on. I've got to make it a priority to remember those things. And if, you know, sometimes I might need to write them all down and have them there to revisit. But I think there's something really special in the art of noticing body language, eye contact, not saying that, you know, from a body language perspective that, oh, their arms are folded and they're really annoyed and defensive, but knowing the changes that I might see over the course of a week, who might turn and say hello and good morning and who might just be kind of ruminating with something that's happened over the overnight or in the previous game. And I don't want to talk about it then, or I might ask a question to see what kind of answer I get. And I'll know then whether by their answer, whether that's an open door to continue or they've closed it off because now it's not a good time. So uh, I do that on there are probably about two or three team touch points a day that I would have. And then others would be individuals. And then they'd know they kind of pop into the coach's office and say, you know, can we go to the canteen and have a chat? But it's the noticing part. How What are they sharing at the very start of the conversation? What are they sharing at the very end of the conversation? that I can piece together the importance of what they're bringing to the table. Perfect. So I guess the, the que next question around that is obviously with those noticing skills, how do you, uh, I guess, challenge individuals on behaviours that you might see are either concerning from a, from a wellbeing perspective or those that are maybe becoming unhelpful um obviously use example Mbappe at the moment it seems like there's lots of challenges going on behind the scenes at PSG and I'd imagine that people can probably see that from the canteen in the morning to the time he leaves whenever obviously people will want to challenge him on those behaviors to try and help him collaborate with the group so how do you manage that dynamic in terms of either being concerned about someone and helping them or challenging them on behaviours that you think if you keep going down this road is going to lead to a, a bad place. Mm. Yeah, that's a really tricky one because there's an easy starting point, which is why. Why? Why is this happening? Why are they like that? Why are they saying it this way? Why have they reacted? Well, and then what have I noticed that's different? So once I know why they're doing it, then what's happened to change this angle, perspective, language, behaviour that isn't the norm. And then the more difficult part is establishing the norms in your kind of, your, you know, forming, norming, storming and all this. Like, 
how often do we realize that if something or someone or something happens in an environment or someone new comes in, we're back to that forming stage again. We're getting together. We're understanding each other. What's the norms? I definitely don't do it on my own. Like we have a coaching team and the wider performance support team that meet every single day. Now, sometimes there's short meetings to open the day and then close off the day. But then we might branch off into smaller meetings and kind of chat about well, what have you noticed? Was it something in the session today that caused this reaction? Or, you know what, I've noticed in the gym that she's not done some stuff in the last couple of days. So let's piece it together and see what that looks like. We'll go to the well-being, we'll go to the readiness, we'll go to the stats. And it won't just be a case of, oh, oh she's off. Jen's, you know, she's lost the plot here now. She's gone all over on a rampage and she hates this. And she like, it's no, we can't be that dramatic because <clears throat> we also need that player to play at the weekend and they're a human being. And we've got to find a balance in, you know, instead of jumping into the, you're doing something wrong, which may be really obvious. It may be like to everybody, that's not how we act. But if they know that, then why are they doing that? And then we have a leadership team who support and we empower them to manage some of the smaller situations be it conflict or clarity on on how to lead and how to support people instead of just having you know a group of players and a group of coaching staff or performance support team and then it's a them versus us we wanted to be more of a we more of a collective and so we do do the typical thing at the start of the season you know, what What are your motives? What's important to you? Because if it's important, then there's a, a little bit more of a pullover to, well, I want this to work. If it's important to me to make the national team, then I, you know, I need to work with a team here. I'm not in an individual sport. I need to have, you know, even in individual sports, you still have a team of people you're working with. So, yeah, it's understanding why and then getting into the in, in intricacies of that isn't aligned to our standards. So, you know, once we understand why, how can we put something to support the person in and then look at how often that's repeated? Because if it's repeated and it's falling outside the ethos and culture of the team, then there's a bigger question to be asked, you know, and whether it's the right environment for that person. And how do you manage, I guess, the the well-being side to the to the performance side? I look at, I think a good example of this at the minute is probably Russell Westbrook in uh, basketball, the LA Lakers. I think his performances probably haven't been as bad as people are suggesting, but from a well-being perspective, I would argue he's probably not in the best of place due to a lot of media critique and fan pressure and all that type of stuff. So how do you, I guess, manage that of going, actually, we want people to be well and we want them to, you know, obviously look after themselves mentally, physically, etc. Um but obviously there is a performance element to this. We are an elite level sport. Um, so yeah, how do you manage kind of that and understanding at times we might need to focus more on performance, at times we might need to focus more on well-being. Yeah. yeah. How do you manage? Yeah. yeah, that's a good one because in not in, well, we're working on it really hard, but in, in not in a, in a lot of environments I've worked in, well-being hasn't been a priority and performance really stomps it out. So, and it it still is in our environment where we have to have regular conversations that, you know, the priorities for different people are, I need, you know, I need her back on the pitch. Well, she she's not ready. And this is what we have to, we have to put the person first. So it's having enough trust and a way of operating that 
there's education being constantly dripped in. Her learning and development around stuff has constantly been dripped in. What And then the individual at the centre of that with, you know, with the coach or with the teammates at certain points of what's the best for the team. But before that, what's the best for the individual? And when we have that kind of way of operating and people can be open and say, you know, this is what we need to do here, then we're, we're, t we're coming at it from a number of different angles. I mentioned earlier from a biopsychosocial point of view that we will have our teams operating. So our medical and physical team might have a chat about a couple of things. And then when we come into our wider MDT meeting, they'll filter that in. So there's the autonomy for our, our staff to work in smaller pockets, but collectively revisiting and going back over the importance of our language, for example, around well-being. So if we're saying to a player one thing about well-being, but our language and behaviours don't match it, then it's causing that anxiety and confusion and they're not able to manage expectations, which has a ripple effect on their performance or their teammates' performance or how they are in the dressing room. And that getting that message across and having that education around the importance and the connectivity of that is, is um, you know, is really important. And then, as you said there, we do have the, the physical side of that where people are exhausted or they've life stuff going on or they might have an injury and they think of, well, if I, if I fully give in to the pain that's in the injury here, I'll be rotated out and what will happen there? And now we, we think and talk a lot about, you know, mental and well-being, but I don't want to tell them I'm injured. I haven't needed to do this for five years in other clubs and I, I've stayed on the pitch. But for example, we had a player in a game in, in this season already who's tried to um, initially play on and after a couple of minutes has said, you know what, it's better for the team if I come off and rest myself and somebody else brings the energy. I'm, I'm not able. And I just thought, how incredible. How incredible to have a culture where somebody isn't saying it's about me, it's about me staying on the pitch, it's about all of it's about the team and the wider team, and I need to look after myself. Now's a good time for me to come off, have a professional conversation with the staff member. She comes off, somebody else goes on, adds the energy, and there's trust that that player can be a game changer as well. So there is, there's definitely, there's definitely some shifts we continue need to do around well-being because it's professional sport and they see it as their job. But I think from a, you know, a wider angle, when we look at it from multiple perspectives, it, it means that the decisions we're making are just kind of more evidence based and informed, better informed. And how can you help them, I guess, to a degree, disassociate the two? So I think sport naturally has a thing of, oh, no, I've got to be resilient. If I just push through this bad patch, then I'll get to a good patch or something like that. Whereas ultimately, I guess in an ideal world, you want them, regardless of what's going on with performance, to be taking care of themselves, to making sure I'm taking the right steps to um, be mentally prepared, physically prepared. I know that regardless if I have a good or bad performance, I've done all I can from the well-being point of view to set me up for that. So mm -hmm. is there any particular ways you've got to get them to disassociate the two because I'd imagine the last thing you want is them going well I'm having a bad turn so now I'm going to really focus on this to try and get me back and then when everything's going well actually I'll just slack off this stuff now because I'm doing well it doesn't matter you kind of mm. want it to be a level of consistency all the time yeah yeah and I've written down consistency as you were talking there because that is if we're consistent in our feedback if there's clarity on um decisions that are made inside an environment then people 
I think are more informed and feel comfortable that they can either ask further questions for clarity or they understand why things are are happening in an environment. Are we getting a perfect? No, but we're working on it and we're trying to keep um, the consistency for the athletes, but also for our staff so that we're all on the same page and we're all understanding how people are operating in their own environment. I think it's interesting when we go back to education to have um, to have an opportunity either in a formal setting or kind of more organic uh, walk and talk sessions about different terms, different like resilient. Some oh, she's a real resilient athlete, and Mustafa Sakar does some great work on resilience. And in a book actually that myself and Amy White had edited that came out last um, Christmas, I think it was. Um, Mustafa and Jolyn did a chapter on the myths of um, the myths of uh, resilience, essentially. And within that, it was really um, it was really interesting to look at how I suppose how do I frame this? How it's it's context specific, but how we can get to a point don't just lump everything into the one like this is my identity this is how I am this is how it's going to be forever and and there's a crumble because like you said maybe there's an injury maybe they're not playing or maybe you know something's gone on at home they don't want to share it with anybody and everything is this toxic positivity we're all great we're all good let's drive on together and it's understanding that the resilience is on a continuum that the each different context can along with their motivation can prove and show different levels and that we can build that together. And it isn't that, you know, to be a high performance athlete or a professional athlete, you need to have this and this and this and this all the time. It's just ridiculous. We're just human beings. But it's understanding how to maximize those elements, how to explore them and how to play on them and use them when you need to. I think that's the the gold of, of the kind of professional athlete um, and the development over the course of their life. I guess those that are able to show that consistency and stuff are probably the ones that are going to have maybe more prolonged careers as well because they are able to consistent in their habits both from a well-being point of view performance physical that type of stuff those that maybe fluctuate dramatically is maybe the ones that find that slightly more challenging from a prolonged period of time yeah and and those unfortunately and this isn't like a you know kind of definitive but uh, what I'm seeing over the last couple of years, just in our smaller environment and my smaller exposure piece, is that where people have had environments where the language and behavior hasn't been consistent or has been detrimental to the perception of themselves and their ability, or has inflated their ego so much and has so, so many false promises. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to support and manage now in an environment that's more holistic. And that it, you know, the the weight of the world isn't on a person's shoulders in every single game. Yes, professional athletes need to perform. They need to understand how to get the best out of themselves and others. But really, it's the enjoyable part of tapping into their motivation. So they feel like they're enjoying doing what they're doing. They're leading the gym. You know, they're loving what they're doing in the sessions. They are looking for more. They're staying to do a bit of extras and tweak and manage their their development plans but it's um it's kind of helping them to explore what their experiences have been like before where they may have respected and or been told to respect somebody be it a manager or an assistant and so they've nodded along and then now we're asking them to challenge that we're asking them to kind of say yeah you are the sum of your experiences but what about a different way of trying this what about a different way of speaking about this and yeah, it's just kind of supporting them on their journey, I guess. 
Perfect. So I'm conscious we're close to the time that we allotted for this. So one last question for me, which is, who would you say um, is the best practitioner you've worked with or seen within this space? And probably more importantly, why? Wow. God, the best word is killing me there. <laughs> I find that really hard. Um, when you say in this space, are we talking about sport? Are we talking about well-being? Are we talking about coaching? Is there a more specific kind of channel? Um, so I say a, a practitioner that finds a good balance between the the performance side of sport and the well-being side, and that you've seen, you know, has worked in the space and has a, a has created a good environment for either themselves or for their athletes, where you can see that they really value, I guess, the well-being of the athlete as alongside the performance of the athlete. Mm -hmm, that's a really good one. It's interesting from a football perspective because there isn't there isn't many people that have spoken about well-being in either some from a men's or women's point of view and I think there's a lot of brilliant practitioners who are out there doing amazing stuff and they're speaking in a more holistic way and they're really interested in understanding the person um and I, well I'll tell you someone who came to mind as you were speaking to me there was um at the start of last season I think it was last season or maybe earlier in, in 22, um, Kate Hayes got the job as head of psychology for the FA. And one of her first board calls was to come and see how many practitioners existed in the country and how we could bring them together and then have an organized session once a week and support change within that whilst you parallel supporting the, the lionesses on their journey during the through the Euros. And she didn't come directly from a football space, came from outside that and was accepted or at least built trust and rapport inside. So I think that type of mentality of let's bring people together. Let's admit I don't know everything about everything. Um, I'll continue to go on my world class leading path in the in the way I deliver. But I want to bring people on and I want to understand how they're doing it. Now, there's a number of people inside that psychology space um, there's a number of people, even Amy, who I wrote the book with, finds a brilliant balance between the world of academia and the as a practitioner on the ground and the, I suppose, the appreciation that I need to actually have some experience of knowing what's happening on the ground and not living in in a research bubble. Um, although there are some amazing researchers out there who give us who give us great evidence. But I think from a balanced point of view, um, the list is endless that I could really go on and on about different people um, who share different things that are gold. Um, but yeah, that's a question that I probably have to hold with me for the, the rest of the day, at least. I'm like, oh, who else could I have listed off? Um, but yeah, I'll hold for now. Perfect. Now, as I said, it's always interested me the why probably more than the person, because I think that it gives a real insight into, I guess, what you value, but also within the space, what potential avenues can you go down well you know with someone who's been a trailblazer in that space but listen i really appreciate your time a really great insight into what you do and some of your experiences and hopefully we can catch up again soon yeah for sure thanks so much for having me
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.